You're fed up with a 9 to 5. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from a traditional career but don't know how? Business Breaks is here to help. Subscribe now and rate and review on your favourite podcast platform. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Get ready to hear a master of innovation, storytelling, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Dante Healy, and joining us today is Chris Hood, a keynote speaker and thought leader in digital strategy who boasts over three decades of experience in online development. As the author of Customer Transformation, Chris provides a roadmap to customer alignment and business value. Articulating a transformative seven-stage strategy, his focus on aligning with customers' evolving needs has seen application across various industries, including financial, healthcare, retail, and nonprofit sectors. Currently, Chris shares his insights on the Chris Hood Digital Show, helping people and businesses worldwide accelerate their digital potential. He formerly held significant roles at Google, where he developed transformation programs for Fortune 500 companies, and at Fox Broadcasting, introducing innovative storytelling techniques for popular shows such as Glee and American Idol. As a co-founder of Blind Squirrel Games, his influence stretches across multiple industries. Beyond consulting, Chris imparts his knowledge to Southern New Hampshire University students, bridging the gap between business and technology through courses like Business Systems Analysis. Chris, welcome to Business Breaks. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you. And uh, Chris, uh, to get us started, could you give us an insight into the concept behind customer transformation and how it's shaping businesses today? Sure. So the concept is really a play on uh, a term I think a lot of people have probably heard, your listeners, digital transformation. And the problem that I saw was that when we focused heavily on digital transformations, specifically with technology, that we were losing sight of the primary reason that we would need that technology in the first place was the customer. And so I wanted to shift the focus back to customers and develop a process around customer transformation. This doesn't necessarily mean that you are trying to transform your customers. It means that your customers are constantly changing and businesses have to align their transformation efforts with their consumers' ever-evolving needs, aspirations, expectations in order to stay relevant. And we see this drastically playing out, especially this year alone. We have seen countless companies struggle with maintaining that relationship or meeting the expectations, the values that consumers have. And as a result, they are losing money drastically. And so this alignment between customers' values and businesses' values are all part of the process of that ongoing, continuous evolution, this transformation that we have to align with back to the customer. Thank you, Chris. That makes so much sense. I mean, it it all comes back to that alignment. You can implement all these cool 
technologies and gadgets, but if it doesn't equate to something that the customer perceives as valuable, then it's not going to be commercially beneficial. And therefore, you probably would, would have been better off doing nothing, even though it sounds at the time when you use a term like digital transformation, a lot of people tend to be kind of, uh, shall we say, mesmerized by this idea that, you know, technology can just do these amazing things, which it can. And But at the end of the day, when it's a business involved in this, it all comes back to the customer. And especially with large companies, you have the vast majority of those employees so removed from the customer in the middle and back office functions. And even to an extent when you are divorced from the business, you actually, you may even forget that internally, the people who you work with are your internal customers. So it is, there's, there's various definitions of customer, but ultimately for a business, it's those people who, <laughs> who pay your, pay your bills and pay your salary and, and keep your business sustainable. So thank you very much for that, Chris. It's very insightful. And your book, Customer Transformation, is quite impactful. What were the key elements or experiences that fueled your writing process when uh, writing the book? Yeah, well, a lot of the things you were just touching on are rooted in this book. So you mentioned the back office or internal organizations, internal teams that typically don't have a focus on the end user or the consumer. Why not? I mean, that's a question. You know, we talk about technology and typically technology is looked at as a, maybe on some level, we're building a technology for the consumers. And especially if you are a technology company, that's obvious. But there's so much technology happening on the inside, and most of those teams can't accurately explain why the technology or how the technology will impact consumers. AI is a great example. Everybody believes like, hey, we've got to go get AI. Well, can you tell me what the customer is going to get out of you bringing in AI? And actually iterate it and, and define it as this is the benefit for the consumer. Like most companies can't do that. And so as I started to map out what this framework is, and the book goes through the seven-stage framework of customer transformation, I wanted to instill that this is just not for customer-facing roles, like typically your product management or your marketing or your sales, obviously. But how about the inside of your organization as well? So I go through each of the seven stages and use case studies and examples from large businesses uh, and that I was influenced by as I was consulting with them, the struggles that they were having or the misunderstanding of who their customer was or, or simply a mindset shift that had to happen in order for them to refocus, even internally, back to the customer. And so every stage is rooted in the customer is first. And, and we can paint a customer-first perspective for every single team in every single business. And when you think about it, yeah, maybe it's logical, 
but I, I had to write something. I had to put this together into a book to make that maybe obvious interpretation more concrete for businesses to follow. Absolutely agree. And you put it in such a very clear way. Um, it all comes back to customer centricity, which in hindsight, when it's pointed out in that way, it seems so obvious, as you say. Uh, common sense, unfortunately, isn't common practice. And that's always been <laughs> a bugbear, especially with legacy businesses. And you can see how companies that have dwelled too long or relied too long on their past successes tend to die out very quickly if they can't adapt uh, to the changing consumer demands. And uh, that that mindset shift, especially in large companies, it tends to be almost not, it goes beyond mindset. It's actually a cultural shift as well, where you have to go and think, well, why do we do what we do? And why is it not working now? And what do we need to do to change? And as you say, it goes back to that customer centricity, but it's the customers that have moved and you haven't, and you have to play catch up to competitors who have taken those steps and who are four, five, ten miles ahead of you. And you, you just, you're playing catch up and that's, that can be hard for, for a traditional legacy company. Uh, and I guess in your experience, when you're tasked with creating digital strategies for those businesses that come from a more traditional background, how do you approach this transformation journey? Yeah, well, the easiest thing to say is if you don't transform, you're going to go out of business. Now, the traditional companies who've been around for 100 plus years, they balk at that. They're like, yeah, we've been around for 100 years. We don't have to transform. We still have our customers. We we still have people who like us, right? But that luxury is, is quickly diminishing. Like, you have to do this. This isn't an option. A great example of this is in the banking industry, where we still have brick-and-mortar banks out there, yet the decline of people actually going to a brick-and-mortar bank is drastic. So you have to make that shift, even if you've been around for hundreds of years as a banking organization. The way that people are engaging with you is changing. And we see that there is mass exodus of people when they don't get what they want, they will go somewhere else to get it. I was ordering a pizza just a couple of days ago from Pizza Hut, and I was having a problem moving the pizza into my cart to check out and pay. Every time I was doing it, it was like, add to cart, error. We have an error. Add to cart, there's an error. I refreshed. I, I did this for about five minutes. And then I was like, screw it. I'm going to Domino's, right? I mean, that's the world we live in. Now, we can argue all you want about, well, we've been around for 100 plus years, and so we're not going anywhere. But it's simply not true. There are two things right now that are killing businesses. The first is this perception of we can survive and, and you're unwilling to adapt or evolve. The second is, is an internal bias as to what they believe that evolution should be. And so when you have internal bias that d does not align with what the 
customer is asking for or what the data purely shows you, that bias is also creating problems for a lot of organizations. And, and so the process of a digital strategy in, in terms of how to solve this is first and foremost, return to a customer-centric view, ask them what they want, and then leverage that data to ensure that there is alignment across the entire organization from the business perspective with what the customer is asking for. And sometimes that's as simple as, we need a mobile app that does blah, 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 blah. Great. Customers are asking for it. There's an alignment there. Let's build that. Or even in some cases, you're going to have to change your business model to adapt. We talk a lot about B2B. My belief system now is that B2B is slowly dying. Why? Because there's a direct-to-consumer market that is so drastically important now that if you're not thinking about it in that way, or at minimum, thinking of B2B2C and understanding what the end consumer wants so you can deliver more value to your direct consumer, like if you can't think about it in that way, you are going to go out of business. This isn't hypothetical. I, I mean, the stats is, is this simple. 100% of the businesses in the world have customers. And, uh, and if you do not have a customer anymore, you do not have a business anymore. Absolutely. It makes complete sense. And there's so many things that I could unpick there. But at the end of the day, it sounds like it, it just comes back to customer and just making sure you make their buying journey as easy as possible, as you say, with the analogy of Pizza Hut. And I have to be completely honest with you. I didn't have that problem here in the UK ordering online on Pizza Hut. But one thing that did annoy me was they were trying to push deals that I didn't want. And I'm a big guy. I like to eat pizza quite a lot, but uh, I didn't need the extras. <laughs> I just want pizza. I don't need these uh, garlic bread or extra wedges and stuff. So that was kind of my irritation was when they they try and push offers with like slight discounts. But I, I get it. It's 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 kind of cool. It's it's almost like you've got a pushy salesman who's automated trying to do something, but not every customer necessarily wants that. But it's it's funny how technology can be applied. And if it's not done well, it will actually backfire. You lose customers, as you say, you, they'll go to your competitors and there's plenty of them. Uh, crucially, one thing I think I got from what you said was also with technology, the world gets smaller. You don't necessarily need those agents or middle people, middle businesses. So the B2B becomes more B2C, as you say, because where you have middle parties involved, there's opportunity if you can streamline and get remove them from the, shall we say, the supply chain process. Um, so there is, there's a number of ways you can grab value. Um, but at the same time, there's also opportunities for say, smaller companies to become agents through technology, just being able to adopt it. So on a number of levels, the game, the rules of the game keep continuously changing, which I believe is driving this thing that you note uh, called digital acceleration. And it does have a disruptive impact on various industries. 
I mean, from your experience, uh, I'm sure you can, but would you share some real-world instances where this acceleration has notably boosted those business outcomes? Yeah, well, so digital acceleration is how do we get ahead of what the consumer is asking for? How do we lay the foundation so that the technology that we have in place, we may not have a direct use case for it, but we have it in place so that as everything moves faster and, and, and as consumer demands are shifting more rapidly, you can evolve in stride with it as, as opposed to trying to keep, you know, trying to, oh no, it's too late. The pandemic is a great example of this, right? COVID hit, all of a sudden people are working from home. You have to have different systems to be able to re support remote workers. I mean, I remember a lot of stories where I was talking with somebody and they were like, oh, I just asked if I could work from home and I got approval. And I said, well, is that rare? And they're like, oh yeah, it's totally rare. This was like in 2019. And then all of a sudden in 2020, everybody had to work from home. Like it was a requirement. There was no internal approval process to allow people to work from home. It was like, you're working from home today. Systems and VPNs and all of those accesses had to change overnight. And we saw a lot of businesses who were able to adapt to that change overnight. Why? Because they had the technology, the processes, the culture internally to support it. Where a lot of the legacy companies, we'll go back to banking as, as an example. If your bank was rooted in internal brick and mortar banking branches, and all of a sudden the next day you had to close every single one of your branches, how are all of your customers going to access their money? If you didn't have a digital system in place, they couldn't. In which case, what are they going to do? The first thing that they're thinking is, well, I got to go find a bank where I can actually access my money. So the concept here is the acceleration is we see exponent technology is evolving. So how do you as a business basically get ahead of that so that you can lay that foundation and be able to support it? A lot of it still goes back to what is the con consumer demands. You can see trends of that. We know that there are certain technologies like, again, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, web 3.0, like we can see the technologies and, and what's happening over the course of the, the, say, the next five years. Well, that's where you have to start thinking and, and investing in because that's what's going to help you maintain that evolution or that acceleration in real time as opposed to like disruption. All, we hope that there's not another pandemic, but what happens next month when something happens that we didn't expect? Look, there's a lot of things happening in our world. War, right? Cultural and economical conditions. Disruption is a word that could happen at any moment. And is your company going to be able to adapt to that disruption is the question. So there's a lot of technologies that, that you can research uh, that's going to help you and support you in that type of acceleration process. But you still have to, as we've talked about, think about your internal cultures, think about your organization, think about your teams, think about how you're going to be able to structure that, think about how you're going to motivate that. 
the companies that have been successful are, are companies like uh, fast food. You know, fast food was able to quickly adapt in real time uh, based on a, a pandemic and no one coming into, look, uh, drive-thrus were already a thing, right? But you also saw restaurants starting to evolve because now a normal sit-down restaurant was opening their kitchen and, and serving food outside their back door as a drive-thru, right? We, we saw adoptions of like Uber and then all of a sudden Uber Eats and, you know, all of the type of delivery services drastically blossom during the pandemic. So it's not always just also about the technology. It's about adapting of the consumers, the goals, the expectations, the requirements they have and figuring out how you can adjust your business to meet those needs, it still will always go back ultimately to a consumer. Absolutely. And you you provide some very tangible examples there. At the end of the day, it's understanding where there's market demand and looking at how best place you are to fulfill that demand in the market. And I think... There's a lot of things that during the pandemic, it was a strange situation to be in. And whilst I wasn't, I was kind of switching in between companies because I left my previous company at the uh, start of the lockdown. And, um, but up until that point, there, I was a few weeks into lockdown before I left. And um, I was very fortunate from my previous company that we'd already implemented kind of a partial sort of hybrid model of working so everyone had laptops and they were hot desking anyway because the offices were at 80% occupancy so we'd already gotten used to working from home it was just more of the same or more of a similar kind of model that we'd already started transitioning into but I can imagine it must have been a massive disruption for anyone that wasn't prepared where people would have to work from home, they'd either use their personal computers or, heaven forbid, have to get laptops. And if if you've got a very, shall we say, conservative IT department, it would have to be corporate laptops. And I know there was a huge computer, sh- computer chip shortage, not just because of laptops, but also vehicles run on these technologies as well. So there were there was this period of a shortfall and thankfully I ordered my laptop before the lockdown <laughs> but it it does create uh, you know there is a scramble to meet demand get your model out as quickly as possible sometimes people will cut corners to launch in order to meet that com- competitive pressure to fill a demand where there is opportunity how do you how do you see in your experience when traditional business environments try to compete with those who are better placed to compete digitally, how important is leadership in that um, uh, that situation where you have to evolve and adapt in the digital age? Yeah, leadership is a critical component of it. Leadership is going to help define your culture in order to be able to adapt be more nimble as an organization. When you have too many policies and procedures and, you know, disconnects between organizations, teams, silos, people doing their own thing. When you have all of that, then you're obviously slow to be able to adapt and evolve. So 
disruption comes and you've got one team arguing with another team about, well, I think we should do this and no, no, I think we should do that. Well, that's your culture and that's being driven by your leadership, right? So that has to be considered always. Also, your leadership is going to have the vision. It's going to have the recognition, hopefully, of this is where the market is headed. This is where our industry is looking. These are our competitors. These are the individuals, the entities that we have to compete with. These are how our competitors' cultures are operating. This is the technology investment that they're making. Like All of those questions, leaders should be able to answer. But also, more critically, leaders should be, this is going to be a hard one for a lot of leaders, leaders should be sitting down with their customers and talking to them. I mean, the last time I actually saw a CEO grab a group of actual customers and sit down with them and say, like, tell me your problems. Tell me what you want. Tell me what we can work on. Outside of small businesses, right? I, I, I'm assuming that a lot of the small business and entrepreneurs are probably doing that because that's, their, that's, you know, that's all they have to do. But as you start building up your businesses and you get into those more traditional businesses and you get into larger organizations and enterprises, they're definitely not doing it. They, they probably feel like, oh, there's other people on the team who are doing this. But I would argue that leaders should be actively looking at not just their competition, not just their, uh, the technology, the culture, but talking with employees, talking with their competitors, the customers would be another awesome thing to do. Like have those conversations so that you can understand where you have to be and then make the decisions and the strategies on, on how to actually get there. Yeah, makes sense. And it's funny when you mention about leadership and how they have a responsibility to be thinking two or three steps ahead of the rest of the business because the rest of the business is implementing the tactics and the operational day-to-day -day meeting those requirements and keeping the ship afloat but the leader has to be the person who's at the wheel who's looking ahead and when disruption happens and things and and the business is not prepared for that disruption or changes and then you think well it's a damning indictment almost because they've been asleep at the wheel and I'm, I imagine you've seen that. We, we, we know various examples of that for whatever reasons, companies that haven't adapted when the need was there or before the need was there, because that's the game now, I think. It's about innovating. Yeah, and it boils down to a combination of arrogance and ego and a belief system. I say it in my book. Like if you believe you know what your customers want before asking them what they actually want, you're going to lose those customers. And yet we have leaders who believe like, oh, I know who our customer is. I know who our demographic is. I know what they want. And then they start to implement their own bias. And that bias is going to kill your company because you'll go and execute. You'll spend millions of dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands, millions of dollars on either a new technology or changing a process or new product development, research, like you're going to spend all that money. You don't even know if your customer wants it or if your industry is expecting it. Now, 
you know, we could argue on some level, like we'll use Uber as an example, like, you know, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there and those entrepreneurs are like, I have a great idea and I'm going to go build this great idea. And we see companies like Uber who are successful. Don't mistake your ideas as an entrepreneur as the same as Uber. Uber was successful because they solved a customer problem. They started with the customer, period, end of story. Everything else was because of that focus on the customer. We have a, a show uh, you know, in the United States. I'm, I'm sure it's in the UK. I'm sure most people probably know it globally. A show called Shark Tank. Shark Tank is people, entrepreneurs coming in with their business ideas, pitching it to millionaires, investors, who then want to invest in these entrepreneurs. Most of them that get rejected are rejected for one basic reason. They're not good ideas, right? Yet the entrepreneur is so focused in, in their belief system that they have this winning idea. It's just not because it probably doesn't solve a basic problem that consumers have. That's the bias. When you have that bias and you lose focus and clarity on what you're trying to solve and who you're trying to serve, then you're losing business. And, and that's part of the leadership responsibility. Remove that bias. Look at data. What is the data telling me about my industry? What is the data telling me about my company? What is the data telling me about my culture? What is the data telling me about my customer? And make decisions based on the data based on facts, not based on your opinions or your belief systems or your own bias. If you can do that, that is going to get you farther, faster and farther than a lot of these other strategies uh, that you're reading about. Brilliant. And that's so true. And it brings me to two terms, really, hubris and humility. And if you're not, if you're not humble, you're not going to accept that you don't know everything, you can't know everything, and you're not always right because there's too many variables at play and you have to be observant to what's going on around you because it's always changing. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. And in terms of coming back to this idea of innovation and, and similar to, I think, digital transformation, innovation can be seen as a bit of a buzzword but when you have to innovate in a changing environment and a competitive environment, it, it does matter for businesses to have to both, you know, find new ways and new products and services to meet changing customer demands. Uh, have you, how have you observed building a culture of innovation influencing an organization's efficiency and competitive edge? Yeah, so the starting one is leveraging the data. We we just talked about that. You you have to take the data and and be able to look at that data, analyze that data, unlock what the data is telling you to drive your innovation. You know, it's it's okay to just come up with random ideas. Like we could probably take an entire day whiteboard and brainstorm and throw a bunch of crazy stuff against the wall and see what happens. And maybe something out of that comes to fruition and, and we hit lightning in a bottle. Like all of that's possible. 
But really, it's starting with understanding the data, and the data should reflect what the consumer is asking for. And then the innovation can come by just applying it to your products and services. This doesn't have to be complicated. Most people look at innovation as like this mystical thing that you know only certain people are capable of doing, and and that it is lightning in a bottle, and and they're looking for some big fantastical thing that they they are going to completely change the world. That's not what innovation is. Innovation is simply more defined as a progression of ideas. And so building a culture that supports innovation starts with understanding who your customer is, first and foremost, data, being able to analyze what that data is, and then opening up the innovation process to everyone. That tends to be the harder one because it goes back to this belief system that innovation is only by a few people in the organization. We have teams that are responsible for innovation. No, that's the team that does that. Like Your job is like a QA person. You don't have an idea for innovation. No, everyone in the organization, if you have 100 employees, all 100 employees should be responsible or innovation, or at least be allowed to contribute to that process. If you have a thousand employees, a thousand people should be part of the innovation team. And when you open it up, then you get ideas that matter, that people from people who are living it day to day. If you have a job and your job is to perform a task and you perform that task every day and the task has, say, 10 steps, at some point in time, you're going to say, man, I, I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I could do it a different way. That's innovation. Like, If you can get that 10 steps down to eight steps, what is it that you're removing and why are you removing it and how are you doing it? You, you write that idea down onto a piece of paper. You submit it into a suggestion box. That's innovation. Innovation is not your lightning in a bottle idea that's going to revolutionize the way that we do business. Your innovation is going to be how do we improve processes and procedures and make the products and services better for our consumers. And if you can build that culture where everyone has a say, everyone can come with an idea, all the only other next step in that process is that you have to allow for failure to also happen. So we go back to you have a job and it's 10 steps, and you say, you know what, I can get this down to eight steps, and you fill out a piece of paper, and you submit it into the suggestion box, and we actually implement that, and now we're doing only eight steps. But you know what, those two other steps were critical, and we didn't realize it at the time, and now all of a sudden we have a lot of complaints. You cannot get mad at that person. Like, Mm. don't reprimand them. That's a learning opportunity. And innovation is stimulated when we understand failures. You have to be able to fail to learn. That's more data. And that data then helps us analyze what happened, what went wrong to further iterate on the innovation. So customer first, a culture that allows everyone to innovate. Failures are okay, which generates data for us to analyze, to make recommendations on our products, services, processes, et cetera. Perfect. Sounds so logical. And yet 
it can be hard for organizations that are stuck in the past where you're rated on how well you've delivered failure isn't accepted or tolerated and and what that creates is a whole pattern of um should we say behaviors that do not support innovation like covering up errors which are seen as bad and and what you do when you make mistakes is in theory you should be learning but if you're not accepting those mistakes then you're not going to learn and and again with innovation it, as you say there's this mystique around the term but it's nothing more than understanding what's going on around you and then bringing in different ideas and then seeing how they can work together and everyone as you say has a voice in that because they have a perspective and the more you can look at a thing from many perspectives the better and I I believe the more robust your solutions will be because you've you've had it more thoroughly considered I would say and then coming back to the data you know anything that's truly innovative the challenge will be getting data because it's not been done before so you can only test things and see what happens in order to get that data which was something I was going to ask you but you've already answered it (laughs) It, it's it's about yeah when it's new you're only going to validate the decisions once you have tried it out tried an idea out and see what the response is and is that something that you've seen often that people maybe they might find a disconnect they or they don't understand why they're doing a process say as innovation because it is a lot of um having ideas thinking it through for a while but then actually executing to see how it works in the real world yeah i mean data is your guardrails you know data is your lane that you uh, navigate around you know we we use data for analytics when we're testing things from a marketing perspective, it's very common to do like an A-B test and figure out which one is more responsive. We use data to understand metrics and goals, KPIs, OKRs, like data is everywhere. So why would you not use data for other areas of your organization, like innovation? Is this successful or not? I mean, we go back to fast food, Taco Bell, uh, Taco Bell's right down the street. I, I, they have a new taco that's out that I like a lot. So I've been going probably more than I should. <laughs> but I read that this particular taco, which is like a beef taco that is, it's a grilled cheese beef taco, right? Uh, from what I understood, they tested this particular taco for one year to perfect it before they launched it into the stores. And they have taste tests all the time. You may not realize this, but like every so often, they'll actually go to a particular Taco Bell. As people are coming in, they'll give them free tacos. Here, taste this. Give us your feedback. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Yes. What would you change? That's all data. They take that data. They go back to the test kitchen. They improve their tacos, and then they get ready to launch it so that they're aware, or at least mostly aware, what the satisfaction of that's going to be. That's a great example of innovation in food. Like we're going to continually test and evolve and and make it so that this is something that's easy to make fast because it has to be fast food. It's going to be, you know, filled with flavor. It's going people are going to like it. 
And, and that type of evolution of continuously testing and failing and testing and failing iteration in, in a real world example is, is a great model to replicate. Yeah, exactly. And you can rely on your old menu, but people have evolving tastes, things change. And yeah, if you you know your competitors, given Taco Bell's example, they're not going to be resting on their laurels. They'll be trying out new menus, seeing what works for the customers, and then potentially eating up your market share. So it's important to make sure you're protecting your your base as well as hopefully growing it. Um, that's really good. And thank you for that great analogy. So I guess aligning business strategies with that customer value is paramount to business success. But again, coming back to your point on alignment, how has this evolved when you're working with digital tools and technologies? And have any of the basic fun foundational business principles changed at all in your experience? No, not a thing. Basic foundational principles of any business is go find customers and make them happy. Again, it seems so <laughs> obvious. But I would argue with anybody, any of your listeners who believe that there's a different foundational premise than going and finding customers. I'll give you an example. If I told you A or B, right? I'm going to, you know, I wave a magic wand, whatever you want to call it. Uh, tomorrow, for all of you business owners, entrepreneurs, everybody out there, tomorrow, uh, you get either 10,000 new customers, like just boom, snap my fingers, you've got 10,000 new customers or 10,000 more widgets that you can sell, right? Like no cost, like whatever you sell, like 10,000. Yeah. Like what would you pick if there's anybody out there who's, who's saying I would take the widgets over the, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be widgets, like 10,000 new technologies, 10,000 new employees, 10,000 new, like you there's not a single person who would say they wouldn't take the 10,000 new customers. Because mm. foundationally, that's what it's all about. And so I think the book that I've written reimagines or at least refocuses people's attention back to that basic premise that it all starts and ends with your customers. When you don't have customers, you're out of business. When you do have customers, you are successful. Leaders who focus on their customers are, are more successful. Companies who have cultures within their organization that focus on customers are more successful. When your technology evolves around customer needs and expectations, you're more successful. So the basic premise is just that. Focus on your customers and you will be successful. That sounds like the ultimate KPI, right? Paying customers. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. Brilliant. And well, when you put it like that, that's that's like a value bomb right there. And looking ahead, right, uh, where do you see the realms of customer transformation, digital strategies, digital acceleration, and business leadership heading in the next out into the next five years? What do you? What are the trends that you're observing and you're if you were to make those calls, what would you bet on? Well, there's two guarantees, two guarantees, no matter what you want to say in life, even. Technology is going to continue to evolve. It's going to continue to get 
faster and, and we're going to continue to get more access. It's, it's going to get more intelligent. The ways we connect with each other, the ways we connect with our businesses, the, our employment, like the, the, the digital landscape will continue to evolve. Why? Because since the dawn of man, technology has evolved from the creation of fire to, to music to AI, it's going to continue to evolve. That's just human nature. That's who we are. That's nonstop. Second one is disruption can happen at any time, any moment. We can get sick. There could be a pandemic. We could get into a car accident. We could face some unforeseeable, crazy future, alien invasion, like something. Disruption is inevitable and we do not foresee it, predict it, or be able to uh, you know, understand it. It just will be there always. And we're all going to eventually pass away from this world and into another world. And, and that evolution and that disruption from that perspective is also continuous. Then if we start to apply some of these principles like customer transformation, digital acceleration, we know that digital, uh, digital technologies are going to continue to accelerate at a pace that we are probably unable to keep up with, but consumers are going to, continuous to continuously demand that we keep up with it. We see because of that technology evolution, that consumer demands and consumer expectations are increasing. We are, we are trained now to believe that if I order something online, it should show up the next day. It should show up tomorrow. That's our belief system. And at some point in time, it's going to change to the, today. Like I order something, it's going to be airdropped by drone to me right now. Right? That's going to continue to evolve. And so our beliefs are going to shift with that. The, the technology and how we engage with companies is, is changing. So our belief system is like, heck, I, I can order my tacos from Taco Bell. They can be delivered to me like by a drone. Like those, you know, beliefs are changing a consumer perspective and it's, it's changing how businesses have to think about it because that ever-evolving customer expectation and aspiration that we talk about, that's not going to stop. And we as a society are becoming more demanding. You know, the last time we call a customer service and we don't get our way, we argue and complain, which is unfortunate, but that's how we handle it. And I think the companies that are able to continue to have that focus on the consumer and deliver to them is going to be success, more successful in the long run. The, the consumer has more power today than they've ever had before. We, we used to have this phrase, now we still do, like the customer is always right, right? Like that has evolved. The customer is not necessarily always right or reasonable in their demands but we're going to have to adhere to it. Those demands, that power that consumers have is only going to continue to grow because of the technology and because of our evolution. And so customer transformation is, how do you maintain that? How do you recognize it, build your framework and, and deliver 
in real time to that ever-evolving power that consumers are now having. And uh, what I would love to see, and we've seen, again, clear signs of how it has been negative in, in the world where companies have not placed focus on the customer and what has happened to them. I believe that I would love to see more companies embracing this perspective, getting back to the customer as being the center focus of the business and growing our ability as consumers ourselves, we're all consumers ourselves, that our engagement with the companies that we are passionate about, that we want to engage with, improves. But that can only happen if they continually evolve with the customer. That's brilliant. And uh, that makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels. And it's important getting more and more critical that you do end up having that one-to-one dialogue to the extent you can in terms of having those engaging conversations, giving various modes of communication and leaving them open for the customer to share feedback, to share their ideas with your business and being able to have those communications. Uh, I grew up, my dad owned a convenience store and it was like the pillar of the community. So you got to know what was going on with everyone, including, you know, whose children graduated, heaven forbid, who was having an affair with whom. And it was just all of that, all of that information that you just knew. And I think with organizations, as they grow, they get divorced from that. And, and that's, that hasn't changed, but it's, it's how it, how it's conducted has. And, and in a lot of ways, there's, there's more visibility, but there's also less personal interaction which i i guess if they can get that bit mastered then they probably will be more successful and geared up for future long-term sustainability would you agree with that chris absolutely i mean going back to your father's convenience store your your father spoke with the community spoke with his customers if they said we want a certain type of bread to be in stock I guarantee you he made sure that bread was in stock and he knew who was coming in to buy that bread and was able to deliver that bread in the moment to that customer. Mm. When we get disconnected and we move away, you said something just a moment ago. You said you should continuously be able to communicate with customers if you're able to. Well, I would argue is if, if you don't, it's just because you're choosing not to. There's no if you're able to. That's an excuse talk to your customers. Imagine if I was to say, let's pick a, you know, I, I worked for Google, you know, and I think Google is a, a fairly well-known company in the world. But, but if, if we said, look, uh, 10 customers are going to sit down with the CEO of Google and have a conversation, like who would not want to be in the line to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Solar companies can, can make that happen easier, yes. Larger companies, I would argue, have no excuse to not make that happen. And, and that, again, is the mindset. I, I'll give you a kind of a closing example of this. So Bud Light is going through a bunch of controversy right now in the United States. They're kind of starting to pull out of that. But the CEO of Bud Light came out with a statement after the controversy saying three things that 
he and his company were going to focus on to try to resolve the problem. And we don't have to get into what the problem is or the you know background. They have a problem and, and yeah. they're trying to deal with it. But he presented three solutions to this problem. Number one was that he was going to refocus on ensuring employees were happy and satisfied and taken care of. Okay. Number two was that he was going to ensure that their partners were happy and satisfied and taken care of. And then number three was to the customers, we're changing our advertising campaign. Now, there's a lot of things wrong with this message, right? One, two, and three. But I would argue that the most blatant problem in this message is that he made the customer the third priority. What he should have said was, to our customers, we hear you. We understand that there's a problem. I want to continue to talk with you, and we are going to continue to address this. Number two could be employees, and number three could be partners. It frankly doesn't matter. Why? Because if you solved the problem with the customers, you would yeah. be making enough money to take care of your employees and your partners. The fact that you do not understand that the customer is that priority and that the customer should be first on that list and that by solving the customer problem by listening to them would solve all of the other problems that you're having is the issue. And if you can shift that mindset again and put that customer first in everything that you do and think about, you again, as a company, are going to be more successful. Absolutely agree with that. And I have followed some of that Bud Light case study, if you want to call it that. And regarding the original campaign around which all of this is framed, which has, I'm sure we say, distanced the brand from its core customer base, I think there's nothing wrong with shooting for inclusion. But when you do it, you don't want to, shall we say, dismiss your core customers Inclusion is about having everyone, and the messaging from that marketing executive was off point. It was unbelievable, but at the same time, I think the CEO has really outlined the classic example of hubris um, in the sense that the customers are looking for an apology. He hasn't apologized for it, uh, and if if it was my business, and I realized people were not buying and leaving in droves, I'd be I'd be I'd be on my hands and knees begging them please, what can I do to make it right? And this is where humility comes in, but clearly they don't learn, <laughs> seems like. Well, it's it goes back to what we've also talked about. It comes back to leadership. It also comes back to data. It shouldn't have ever happened because if you would have analyzed the data, you would have known what to do and not to do. And then there is internal leadership bias, which we've also talked about. You know, this is my opinion about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. So, so. I would argue it, it, it really had nothing to do with a marketing message. This, this was a, a failure at leadership, a failure to uh, understand the data, and a failure to ensure that you, that you and your business is aligned with what your customers want. Absolutely. Oh, thank you, Chris. And I wasn't expecting that as well to come up, but it, I, I think you outlined the situation very well. Um, and Chris, um, we're at the end of the uh, interview. It's been an amazing discussion. Before we wrap up, would you like to um, 
delve more into any projects that you have for currently underway or perhaps share with our listeners maybe more about your book? Yeah. Well, the book is the big thing right now. I just published the book a couple of weeks ago. It's called Customer Transformation, and it's a seven-stage strategy for business value and customer alignment. Understanding that if you align with your customers, you are going to generate business value. And the seven stages go across a lot of the topics that we've talked about today. You can go to my website, chrishood.com, and you can read up a little bit more about that book. But it also has action plans in each stage. So there's questions that you can ask your teams to further unlock the, uh, the value of, of the framework and then dive into it and, and, and work with it in your organization so that you can refocus your attention back to, again, the customer as we've been talking about today. So it's available on pretty much all of the platforms. You, you can get it on Amazon and, and definitely uh, worldwide. It's available on, on Amazon. Or you can reach out to me again on my website and follow me there. Brilliant. Thank you, Chris. And I'll make sure to have all the links in the show notes. Chris, it's been an amazing conversation. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.